Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuha. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. We are just right back from a trip across the pond. That's right. We've been on vacation again uh, in a trip to uh, Scotland and uh, London. Uh, 10 days. We've been quite a while. So... That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this trip, which was a wonderful trip, I think it's fair to say. Uh, grueling. Grueling. Nah, don't, you don't remember the grueling stuff. The, the traveling's always grueling. The grueling that, that's, just, that's just the... Wait a minute. The, the biking was grueling. Well, the biking was grueling, but uh, we'll get into it. It was a biking so, trip. So here's the story. Yeah. It well, was an emergency trip. That's right. We had to use up some, some COVID tickets. Right. Tickets that we had planned a trip and... Uh, Around a wedding, which didn't take place, and that's a whole story in and of itself. We may even have told before, I don't know. But uh, the fact is that uh, we had this, these air... British Air said, use them or lose them. And believe me, they were very much on the side of lose them. So you had to argue vociferously with them and, what was it, orbits, in order to make this work. And uh, they finally, uh, you know, fell into line. And we had the trip, so we, what we did was we scheduled a trip with Backroads. That's the outfit that runs the bicycle trips that we often go on in Europe. We've gone on several of those and used some other companies too, but the timing was right. Uh, they well, had, the timing was right. We, we had one possible week we could do this. And, they had, well, that's, and we, we that's, looked up that's, what trips are available that's called, during that week. That's called there right timing. There was pretty timing. much one. Yeah. It was to Scotland and England. Right. So we... Took it. So we ran. So we flew to London and uh, then uh, took another short flight to Edinburgh. Did I pronounce that right? Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. In uh, Scotland, which is, everyone kept saying, is a beautiful city. It's a fantastic looking city. And it is kind of an interesting city. I mean, I'm not one to report on how beautiful a city is. Did you think it was a beautiful city? Is that a fair description? No, it was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's a city Charming. of about a million people or so. It's got a castle in the middle of it. Yeah, it's filled with historical artifacts. The castle is not where kings live. Well, they did up until about, I don't right. know, the 16th or 17th century. Then it's like a military stronghold. Barracks, right. garrison, that kind of stuff. But it, that is the centerpiece. You see it. Mm-hmm. It sticks up there. Right. And uh, that is the key to all tourism. Right, and there's a lot of open spaces. And and there was no way we could go there. Yeah, oh, there's too many people. Well, I guess maybe we ought to get this uh, out right off the bat because it colors what follows. And that is, this happens to be the month that there is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which every once in a while we hear of and it kind of rattles around the back of my brain. It's a familiar phrase, but never thought much about it. Well, uh, so if you're into theater, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. Well, it's a, it's an interesting deal. Well, here's why I say it's huge. Uh, first of all, there are a number of fringe performances, and and you know we didn't go to any of those. There's you really had to plan. Like every day, of- every day there's like fifty or sixty, you know, small performances going on in these small little theaters or churches or whatever tucked away, and you see advertisements for them all over the place, and they're fringe. So they're, it's not like they're doing My Fair Lady or uh, Sound of Music. They're doing. You know, creating characters, they're doing riffs on, you know, different events, whatever they're doing. They're out there and uh, they seem to be out there. 
fringe, fringe events. Fringe, that's the fringe. And once in a while, they do ripen into something that you see in the mainstream, the best example being Six. Six right. was an Edinburgh uh, Friends Festival performance that ripened into, you know, the Broadway and uh, West End sensation. But uh, so there is a little bit of that, but not everything is destined to be that way, which is just fine. But what's interesting, too, is that it brings a ton of people to Edinburgh. So depending on whether you believe our taxi driver or the people at the hotel, the city of a million uh, becomes during the film festival a city of two million or a city of seven million. I don't know. (laughs) A lot of numbers are thrown around. But there certainly are times of the day in areas of the city which are thronged with people. I'd say largely young people, but thronged with people. And you can barely move because you were in the middle of a fringe festival. So that's the time. We didn't choose that time, but that's the time we found ourselves in Edinburgh. And uh, we didn't do any planning ahead of time. No, but that's not... We really really couldn't. (laughs) Well, uh, but in fairness to us, you know, the trip was centered around this, this bike trip. So... We only had a day and, and, a, and a little bit, a day and a half, let's say, before the bike trip began. And, and one of the nice things about the bike trip is once you're going with back roads on the bike trip, they're doing all the planning. They're in charge. So right, but there are people who go on these trips in that at least Google the country. No, I don't think so. And find out. I don't think that's true. A few basic no, things. No, nobody. Oh. Nobody. Yeah, so, so we, uh, we go in there completely blind to the point of... Well, we're not blind. You, we well, asked the cab driver on the, cab driver, on the way right. in, what should we do? And he said to us, well, of course, there's the tattoo. And I said, what? And he said, you don't know what the tattoo is? And I'm saying, so I know what a tattoo is in terms of ink or something like that. But there's something about the way he was describing the word that sounded like that wasn't it. And it wasn't it. The tattoo turned out to be... Uh, a performance of, gee, how to describe it, uh, uh, a bunch of military uh, marching bands. Uh, this, this is which, if you're in Scotland, turns out to be bagpipes. Yes. Which okay. Is, which so it's, is, this, it's this huge um, extravaganza of bagpipe performances and some other stuff too. and some other stuff so it's military marching band mm-hmm. right. stuff right but it, 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 it's guys well, in but skirts it's a, it's a little you're focusing on one piece of it because what it is and, and of course based on what the cab driver said we had to get tickets right away we were fortunate to get tickets to a saturday night performance we got it on a friday night we knew we'd be too tired to stay up to watch it the first night and there we are and you know nine o'clock at night in the stadium that seats ten thousand people packed packed with people, right? And uh, they it, it, it is a combination of sort of like the Ohio State halftime show and uh, the Olympic ceremonies, okay? It's spectacle. But it's spectacle uh, which it revolves around a succession of various performances by representatives of various countries of some military stripe who are performing with musical instruments. And the first one that comes on is, of course, as you say, the bagpipes of Scotland. And uh, let's face it, there's nothing like bagpipes. And uh, we've all probably been in situations where we got to hear two or three bagpipes playing at the same time. It sounds very affecting. And this is like, what, 60, 70 bagpipers marching along, 
playing the standard bagpipe songs and some others besides. No, this is more than that. Hundred? Yeah. Thousands? Hundreds. It was zillions. Twenty thousand? No. I don't it know. It's not twenty thousand. It was overwhelming. Was overwhelming. Overwhelming. And then uh, you know, they finished their ten minutes or fifteen minutes and then another country's representatives marched on which had yeah, music. Var- various uh, armed forces related right. uh Groups precision marching United at the same States time. United States Air Force Band, right? Did kind of a swing set as much as anything. Popular music, which mm-hmm. didn't really resonate the way the Scottish did, but it's not a competition, I don't think. And uh, we had a the Swiss the Trinidad player. and Tobago Defense Force yeah. Steel Orchestra, yeah, sort of a marimba band thing, and uh, they had a Swiss group, and uh, uh, did all kinds of things, and uh, again, spectacle. So there's things to watch, things to hear, like unlike anything you've heard before. And the crowd was totally into it. And there were intermittent fireworks. By this time, it's night. Uh, and uh, projections of things. It was unlike anything we had ever seen before. So I, I, think I'm, I think it was well worth seeing. I don't think I see it twice, but I think it was well worth well, seeing. It, it was fun. It was fun. And uh, the enthusiasm of the crowd was fun. Yeah. Um, And to some extent, it's just one of those extravaganza things. It Mm. wasn't... uh, Nothing like we've ever seen and ever likely to see. It it related a lot to uh, that um, musical, the musical... Uh, the Notre Dame musical that's a sensation all over the world. Oh, it's yeah. A, yeah, know, okay. That kind of extravaganza spectacle. In this right. case, it's uh, well, bagpipers not, and it? traditional um, Scottish dancers and so forth. But it's of that genre to me. Was that, um, was that called Notre Dame de Paris or something like that? Something yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah. And um, yeah. so it's that sort of what I would call European spectacle yeah. genre. And uh, it... it it was it was fun, and of course we got terribly lost trying to leave it because we were just following, following the crowd. Ten thousand people. Well, you couldn't help but follow the, the crowd. You couldn't we move just anywhere. Followed the crowd. We yeah. followed them to somebody else's house, right. not our house. Right. But uh, so, we eventually got home, and of course we were exhausted. So uh, you know it's a change of time zones and everything. But there you go. So we were up late with that, and uh, that was a very that was good. fascinating and, experience. Um, we actually did very well restaurant wise. Oh my God! In Edinburgh, yes, and uh, we we got some advice from a concierge or two, mm-hmm. and uh, we we roamed around with a couple of suggestions. And uh, actually, the first place we went into, um, Wiggums, mm-hmm. um, we just went in because we were exhausted and starving. Oh, but it, and, it, was, and it was recommended. It was one of our best meals. It was recommended. It was, it, a, it was. across the well, way from the hotel. Well, there were several different yeah. recommendations. It was the and, closest. Uh, it was the closest. Uh, we just said, okay, we can make it this far. We went in. We had. Fabulous oysters. We never had oysters Lock like this. Fine. They're called Lock Fine oysters. They're local. We've had a lot of oysters. Tamsin's a big believer in oysters. We never had oysters like this before, and we'll probably never have them. We also had they a wonderful fantastic. Scottish soup called Cullen Skink. Skink, and it's made from Finn and Hattie. Finn and Hattie, uh, smoked haddock and right. uh, potatoes and cream, and uh, that was very. I mean. That was very reviving. That was very soul soothing in was, our exhaustion. But it was fantastic. State. And we yeah. I said to the waiter, we thought it was a gag. What's Cullen Skink? And he says, Oh, it's this soup. It's fantastic. You have to try it. So we ordered the Cullen Skink. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, and we went to some other very interesting restaurants in Edinburgh. Uh, really yeah, we did were, great. We were fortunate to be directed to somewhat smaller streets and. Uh, 
with some good places. There are certainly a lot of big places. No, but we didn't go there. We went to places that were smaller, a little more casual, but they were very serious about the food and serious about the wine and the beer. And to me, the standout were the mussels that we had. We've tried mussels in the U.S. various places. It's kind of hit or miss. These were unbelievable. Yeah, those were at a restaurant called Dulce. Mm -hmm. And that that was another fantastic meal. So Mm -hmm. um, we ate very well. And then at the crack of dawn on Sunday, we got up and met our group. And we uh, took a bus to Berwick-upon-Tweed, which is... um, just funny because I had just read a book that was all about Berwick upon Tweed. It was called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. And uh, so I go, it's one of those usual crazy things where you go from never having heard of something to seeing it everywhere in your life. And so we started that bike trip. And it uh, turns out Scotland has hills. Yeah. So let me step back the way the bike trips work. Uh what it is is back roads, uh, you know, encourages people to uh, subscribe to the trips. And they take a group of, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 people. Uh, you don't know them. You just meet them for the first time. And in this case, it was 16 folks. And uh, they were from all over the country. Uh, no one really from our area too much. Uh, people from Spokane, Washington, and from Chicago, and from Florida. Um and uh, very, all very nice. You know, part of the fun of the trip is, is dealing with all these folks. Right. And, uh, you know, basically couples, but sometimes a little extended and some a couple of singles. Well, there's some adult children. Yeah. There. No, it's all cool. Yeah. Uh, and Backrose does a great job in terms of having uh, wonderful places to stay. I mean, some amazing places to stay. Well, there are two levels. Yeah. Okay. There's casual and prestige. And what was this? We always aim for casual. And what was this? But... Prestige was the only thing available. Okay, so it has to be because we were staying like we were, we're, staying, it's we're like, staying basically a Downton Abbey. Yeah, in three different he's, Downton Abbeys, yeah, so three great, different places. These grand old, yeah. uh, it's crazy chateaus. Really they're always castles. they're crazy over the top. They places. had been uh, yeah. reconfigured into uh, luxury hotels. Right. So, so the the, the, the the accommodations are amazing. But there's no getting around that the main event every day is the biking. And uh, we like the biking in principle. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we were uh, we're game. We didn't even take our clipless pedals because we didn't want to carry them all around on the trip. So we're, we're using clips, uh, cages, if you will. Uh, and our idea based on our thought was, our understanding was, based on the description of the trip, that it wasn't the most challenging trip in the world. And for large parts of the day, that was true. So we were doing about 40 miles a day, which may sound a lot. And sometimes it felt like a lot. But over the course of a day, it's not too bad. Although they generally would have 30 miles in the morning for some reason and 10 in the afternoon. So you get a long morning. But there were clearly, even early on, stretches that we said, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) This is really a climb. This is really steep. So it's what the way Backroads does it is they have a range. Yeah. They say this is a range between one and five. One mm-hmm. being the easiest, five being the hardest. All right. So this yeah. one's a two. This, this one's, one's a three. Two to something. Right. And uh, that you can, there will be some options during the day. Right. You don't have to, you know, do all twenty nine miles. You can do the first eighteen, or you can do 
the first 10 and get a shuttle to the last 10 or something. So you have options. And once in a while. Theoretically. Unless you're married to Dan Abuel. Oh, that's not true. Who feels you have to do everything there, you're supposed there, there was a guy to do on the trip a real man would do the whole ride there's a guy on the trip who was more so that way than i am and it's fair enough only because he's a little younger and had more energy to do that and I mean, his really, wife was very game you, you know you know it turns out there are people 20 years younger than us on these trips and and, and the way it divided it used to be that we were near the leaders of the pack because no, we were, we were never the leaders. near the leaders middle. of the pack. We were the no, we were better than that. that. Near yeah. the leaders of the pack, mm-hmm. and especially in our age cohort. So now the way it works is the age co- our age cohort is important to backroads because they get a lot of people who are just you know entering retirement that sort of thing. That's fine, except what's changed is e-bikes, and now those folks, the people in our cohort, are on e-bikes. We're not on e-bikes generally. So now, whereas there might be 10 people on the trip or eight people on the trip in our age cohort, of which in that group, we'd be the leaders. Now, we're not the leaders because they're flicking a switch and they're flying by us. Well, a, cu- a couple of different things have happened. We've mentioned e-bikes before. Yeah. And uh, we're on the Netherlands trip. Yeah. There are people doing e-bikes. And especially excited were the husbands who agreed to get on the e-bikes with their wives. Yeah. And uh, they were delighted as well. Were they? Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes what you have is you have the guys are really good riders and mm-hmm. the women are, are not that into it. Yeah. So they may ride an e-bike uh, just so they can survive. But uh, the guys may just, you know, be perfectly fine on a normal performance bicycle. This time you didn't really no, Slow down. It. So I think you misdescribed it. So what you're really saying was in Netherlands, the guys... The, the couples, it, the, the couples, the women were on the. Sometimes the that women. That was the first time we. we really, oh, 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 let oh, me oh. just say it. Right. Okay. That was the first time we really saw couples. Right. On the e bike. Right. But, we, but okay. what didn't come across was this. So what you're saying, I think, is the couples in Netherlands, the woman would be on an e bike and the guy would be on a regular bike. Is that no. what you're saying? What were you saying then? I'm saying that the Netherlands was the first time we saw both. The, the men couple, and the women were yeah, on, really? on but the why? E-bikes. There were no hills in the Netherlands. Even so, yeah. the husbands who were doing it yeah. were delighted. Why? I don't know, Daniel. All right, you should have asked them back then. I don't remember that. Okay? Way, but fine. But anyway, <laughs> so on this trip, you had people who had been. We had couples who had been riding on the e-bikes for a while. Yeah, this was just their standard thing. Had they ride the e-bike at home? And some of them did. Yeah. yeah. And so, but the, um, but anyway, uh, so I guess it was interesting to me before, you would have like packs of guys kind of riding together, yeah. husbands riding, you know, together yeah. uh, on performance bikes, road bikes. Okay. And then other groups behind them. What trip are you talking about now? You've lost me completely. When you say before... In Oregon. Oh, you've switched another okay. trip. Okay. For instance, it wasn't unusual to for um, the cycling to cluster in terms of people's abilities. Yeah. Okay. okay. But now e-bikes are the great equalizers, and we mostly had, you know, couples doing their thing together. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let me let me back up here. All right. So 
Yeah, I mean, everyone, I think what I said at the beginning is pretty much the overriding principle. Everyone in our age cohort, with a rare exception, was on e-bikes, men and women. And they were going about the same speed. But that speed is faster than someone on a regular bike, even if they're a super cyclist. Because if you're on an e-bike, you're generally faster. So we're not, uh, you know, especially if there are hills, uh, it's, you know, you're having a different experience than the folks on the e-bike. So look, enough with the people on the e-bikes. My point is, we were on the regular bikes, and we had some real hills. And uh, we might take an option or not take an option, but generally, as you were saying... Dan, Dan, what? Dan, Dan. What? We were last all the time. No, no, there was someone behind you're us. You're just, you still haven't gotten over this. <laughs> no, you're, you're wrong. This, you're you're giving wrong. this whole diatribe you're wrong. about e-bikes no. because we came in last. But the e-bikes are all, by definition, behind us. If you have, uh, if someone says, I'm, I'm going to take a car instead, that person's behind hey, you. Okay. we had a good time, all right? <laughs> but it was a little bit hilarious because we would struggle in. Yeah. And we'd be the last people to get to lunch. Because we're the only ones on a regular say, bike. We're doing great. And we would say, are we still on schedule? you say, yeah, you're just fine. Look, you got seven minutes for lunch. Yeah, right. The yeah. other people were on the tour of the castle. <laughs> right. But uh, grab something to eat and we'll get you All out right, of so here. All right, so this was fine. So in any event, we worked it out. And we did, as you say, quite a bit of riding. And we did some very challenging riding. And we had good adventures. And Yeah, we had fun. And, and look, look, part of the fun is being challenged. Yeah. And, and as long as you live to tell the tale, which we did. So what's interesting is uh, we get to the, the last full real day riding, riding day. Last full day of riding. Which was a killer. Right. So they don't describe it that way. They sort of describe it that way. By this time, they can see... That we, in, the, in, the, in the sense that they say, cyclists come all over to do this route. Right. In fact... It was used in the Tour de in France, the Tour de France right. okay. one year. Right. And you're going, oh. so, so they say to you, uh, which is nice, they see us killing ourselves every day, but doing it. They say, you know, Tamsin, you might want to take an e-bike on this trip. But they don't offer me that option. Well, they had one spare e-bike. And they gave it to you. And it, it happened to be the smallest one. Yeah, okay? that's what you got. Just your size, they said. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'll take it. Which was smart. So, because they really, un, you know, they undersold, they didn't tell the real truth about that last ride. It was much tougher than they were describing it. I'm talking as a guy who didn't, wasn't on an e-bike. There were stretches on that that were unbelievable, that were as hard as anything we've ever done in any country. And uh, I, you know, by this time we're friendly with other folks on the, on the trip and we're comparing notes. And there's some real... Well, very experienced riders on the trip. And again, younger people um, with real bikes. They were on performance bikes. I was on what's called, uh, what was that called again? A, uh, uh, not a cruise, not a cruiser, but um, you know, straight handlebar bike. It was almost a hybrid, but it was like a touring bike. Touring bike. It was a touring yeah, bike. That's the right in, word. In some circles, it's called a hybrid. Yeah, and, it, and it's, I don't think in Europe they call it a hybrid. No, well, it was a thinner tire than a hybrid, but it was yeah. titanium. So it was light enough, but it wasn't mm-hmm. quite the performance bike. In any event, long story short, they tell us that there are some very tough uh, climbs. They say 7%. At the end of this, this trip this morning, I'm talking to the experienced riders. They say to me, that wasn't 7%. And one guy says, that was at least 15%. The next guy says, I have you know, my own experience. That was 17%. How he came up with that number, I don't know. So I said to them, well, why didn't they just tell us it was 17%? 
And these guys said to me, because if they told us it was 17%, no one would go. <laughs> and I was uh, in complete agreement on that. There were some extremely rough Okay, portions. so anyway, yeah. it was hard and we lived. We yeah. saw some beautiful So it's a great day. experience. We saw the heather on the hills. We saw, I, I, was, the little I mostly saw the perspiration on my glasses. But uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was extraordinary scenery. Uh, yeah. We saw some beautiful, some of it was waterfront. And, um, you know, there were charming, charming little towns, uh, little intersections with the, the stone cottages. Uh, you know, it's everything you want to see. Oh, it, uh, it was unbelievable. Scotland it was unbelievable. I mean, the Northern closest England. you could come in terms of a referent would be, uh, you know, that series, All Creatures Great and Small, based yes, on the yes, James Harriet novel. Yes. That's what I, that is. I, I kept thinking as we were riding right. along, oh, All Creatures Great, oh, this looks like the opening. No, this looks like the opening. Yeah, that, that's exactly what yeah. it was. And it was in vivid relief. But we should mention also, they tend to, Backroads put arrangements for programs during the week. To take your mind off, off the cycle in the evening. So when you get to five or six o'clock before dinner, they'll have a, a lecture or something like that. And these can be pretty lame. These can be real, real well, dogs. It's funny again for us because, you know, a certain amount of people are rolling in at 3.30. Well, we're rolling in at 5.30 and they're saying, True. okay, see you down here at 6.15. Well, we would run to the pool okay, anyway. We'd run for, to the pool. For, you know, the bagpipe lecture. Right. Saying, run to the really? pool or the sauna or something. But anyway, we would straggle in just as it was starting. And the, the, the fair, in fairness to the back roads, they had three winners. Three winners, no dogs. So the first one was a, uh, a piper demonstration, a fellow who played various pipes. You know, starting with a very small set of, I'll call them bagpipes. Well, there were border pipes, there were small pipes, and there were the Highland pipes. Oh, you're very good. You're yeah. very good. I, I was, was listening. Yeah. I was, he, I was and exhausted. And he was interesting, and uh, the smaller and, ones were powered uh, by uh, bellows. Right. Which he worked No one can see this. One you're moving it with your elbow. Okay. Yeah. And then the high pipes, you actually, you know, blow the air. Into so the you bag. explain that how it worked. Sound. We now yeah. all about it. And the reed showed us right. the reeds. And he, and he was very good and he was very interesting. And, and of course, with the smaller pipes, you can actually sing along with the pipes. And he would do that because he didn't have and the he blow. He did that. So we, you know, we heard some interesting songs. And he, yeah. uh, and he kept saying to us, and uh, okay, the Highland pipes, I'll demonstrate those, but we'll have to go outside for that. And, and no pe- one wanted to go outside because it was raining. It was raining. And people said, that's all right. You can, he said, no, I have to go outside because <laughs> it's so loud. And people said, oh, I'm sure we can't have that. He said, no, you can't. <laughs> So we all had to go out in the rain, and he played the Highland Pipes, and he was 100% right. It we, was loud. We would have been blown apart if okay. we'd stayed. So the second good lecture was about gin, mm-hmm. artisanal small batch gin. Right. So you can ask us anything. You know, copper vats, right. you know, uh, juniper berries, so distillation, the, I, you know, so anything the, you want. The guy who did the presentation, they gave us the history of gin, and it turns out, is whatever you call the equivalent of a brewmaster, a gin brewmaster. And he was behind uh, the first, I guess, major success as a small batch gin maker in the UK called Slip and something. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, he was there head brewmaster right, well let's not go into it if you can't remember anything no 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 here's the deal here's yeah. the deal um back in like the uh what was it the uh, 17th or 18th century 
um, there was way too much gin. Everybody, everybody in London was drinking yeah. gin, and uh, it it was uh, a desperate situation because gin was very cheap and easy to make and cheap to get, etc. So all these kind of laws were enacted, and also um, fees that you had to pay, right? Right. So that it made it almost impossible at a certain point, to make small batches of gin. So that all got reversed very recently and um, with a lot of work uh, by the young, you know, these young guys who wanted to, uh, you know, create small batch artisanal uh, type gin. They managed to do that and uh, the whole uh, industry has really blossomed. And so the guy who was giving the lecture this time was with a company called Heppel at this point. Right. And um, so, I mean, we don't really drink so much hard liquor, so it was all a revelation to us. But, uh, you know, at the end of a hard day of cycling, turns out that a gin and tonic is rather tasty. Right. So they had, they kept giving us samples and they, they, they had a gin and tonic for us or something like a gin and tonic. And sure enough, the next night at dinner, after an exhausting day of riding, instead of my beer, which I normally would get, I had a gin and tonic, which was really? very civilized. Yeah. And it was good. And it turns out I can make a gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very hard to make a gin and tonic. I don't want to go into it now. It's somewhat complex. But uh, I, I mastered it immediately. Well, what I enjoyed is um, that, uh, you know, they, at one point he's... Uh, describing all the medicinal qualities of juniper. Yeah. So many aspects, you know, juniper is, one, again, one of those things that will cure everything. And so that's one of the reasons people started drinking gin. Or it's curative and, But it turns out that mm. once it's uh, in the alcohol form... It's not helpful. It's not, yeah. uh, it doesn't have the same property. But it makes you feel healthy. Right. Yeah. So, so um, in any event, so... That's disappointing. So the trip ended after, you know, six days or so. No, the... But what what did I forget? Oh, the oh, biggest one. The biggest demonstration. I forgot. I can't. The last lecture, <laughs> your favorite, the Birds of Prey. At Swinton Park. I'll, I mean, Swinton Park really was like Downton Abbey in many, many ways. And it just, uh, you walked around the grounds. It was like being in a Jane Austen movie. Right. It was and, like Downton uh, Abbey, but so, nice, you know. And uh, there was a demonstration uh, of Birds of Prey. Yeah. And the way that went was uh, six people would get in a circle, yeah. each one donning a large leather glove on their left hand. Yeah. And we we all faced to the side, so we uh, pointed our left arm into the center of the circle like spokes on a wheel. Right. All right. And an owl oh. would come out and fly from person to person, all six of us. From glove in to the glove. Circle. Yeah. yeah. As the... the um, Keeper lady would have a little snack, yeah. a little treat for the owl when she got to uh, your hands, a little bit of raw chicken, and uh, then it would swoop and go to the next person but, and get his treat. But from over our there. perspective, we have our left arms out, and this huge owl is flying over at fifty miles an hour and then perching on our wrist, which was striking. Which was striking and wonderful. It was so much fun. Turns out, a huge owl can weigh as much as. A pound and a half. Yeah, well, no, a big owl weighs a the, pound and a half. The really big owls were eight pounds. Eight pounds. And okay. we had some of those. I had one, an eight-pound owl on my wrist. we were dealing with a pound and a half of fluff right. on your arm. But an eight-pound owl is like the size so of half a human being. So it was marvelous. Yeah. And we all got to do it right. several, several times. times right? um, and it was the most fun 
I've had one of those and we activities. Have, we have the photos to prove it for Hazi. Yeah. Hazi's not going to believe it. So that was great. We also had a very nice tour of the gardens and property mm-hmm. with actually one of the current owners. Right, so, or the family. Um, so, and then there was a whole interesting uh, history to the property and mm-hmm. what they've done and how it's gone from this to that to now a luxury hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 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 so that all worked out pretty well. Oh, worked out great. Worked out great. So we had a great time. It was a great trip. But we weren't done. And we done. met a lot of... The people were interesting. Yeah, I, I mentioned that. You had they, uh, they were. a variety of... You had entrepreneurs. You had, um, uh, I guess, young financial people. Your doctors. Uh, doctors. Uh, uh, so it was uh, a lively... Convivial group. group. It was a convivial group. Right. right. So we had a great time. And we find ourselves ending in Yorkshire. I mentioned Yorkshire... Because by total coincidence, when I found myself watching an airplane on the way up and the way back, was a series called Happy Valley, which I had heard about, which I guess is something that's on British television or has been on British television with Sarah Lancashire. And I heard it was great. It was very, very good. Takes place in Yorkshire. So we're totally plugged into Yorkshire for what that's worth. Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Sorry. Totally plugged in. Edinburgh and Yorkshire. So then we uh, got on a, uh, a train. At York. To London. And uh, I got to London. And uh, that was kind of t- uh, exhausting trip. But we got to London and got our bags to our hotel. It was not a tough trip. And uh, Tamton found a miracle hotel. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the name because it was uh, economical beyond belief. And it was pretty nice. Uh, so we did all right there. Camped out there. And the next day, uh, per plan, we went to see... Uh, production of Guys and Dolls. Now, this is one of those things that, you know, every once in a while you're reading a review in the New York Times and you say, this is interesting. Where is this? And it's it's in London. And you say, why do they have reviews of things in London? It's the New York Times. This does me no good. Well, I had read this review and brought it to Tamsin's attention maybe six or eight weeks ago. And we said, well, that's interesting. They're doing this uh, fascinating performance, and I'll get back to why in a moment, of Guys and Dolls in London, but so what? And then we ended up planning this trip, and Tamsin made the connection and said, hey, we can fly to London and see this uh, musical as one does. And that's what we did. That's what we did. So this was at the uh, Bridge Theater, which is just off the Tower Bridge. And uh, what's interesting about this production, as described in the review, is that it's an immersive production. Now, what you hear now in New York about there's an immersive production, uh, what is it, Here Lies Love, which is the story of Imelda Marcos, which is the David Byrne thing. That's an immersive production. People writing about it, and then there's uh, people... So I guess it's the in thing, yeah. Well, that's what it is in New York, but there's some uh, mixed feelings about it because you feel like you're celebrating Imelda Marcos or Ferdinand Marcos, which not everybody's into. But this is not so much. This is Guys and Dolls. And sure enough... We had an immersive ticket, which means you're standing in this area on the floor toward the center and stages sort of pop up and move around around where you are as if you're at the level of a street scene. It's slightly above you so you can see better. And the various scenes are performed on these somewhat movable stages. No, they didn't move. Well, they moved they up, and down, up and down, up and down. Okay. That's moving in my mind. All right. Okay. And uh, it was great. It was great. It was sort of great. It okay? was sort of great. You it's... thought it was greater than I did. Well, first of all, it you know it was very similar to the Globe Theater. 
where yeah. the groundlings are sitting there. You're right. We you're right in the center. Yes. That's a, and and we had done that before. And when we did that, you know, it, it, it was a little tough. It's a long time to stand if you right. have my knees. It is a long time to and stand. And it's also very warm under those lights. Yeah. And with that crowd of people. So by the after the it was a great performance. I was having a good time, but I was definitely in pain by we got by the time we got to the interval. Okay. Or intermission. So we got you a, a, so a ticket I went to sit to the down. Box office. Yeah. And paid a few more dollars so I could sit down. And uh, so you had the immersive experience. You were actually sitting at a table in the Kit Kat Club. Right. When uh, the second act started. I so, think it's called uh, the Hot Box something. The right? Hot Box. Yes. Okay. The Hot Box. And so you're, it's almost like you're in the scene. And, yeah. and, and the Hot Box girls come out. They're doing sort of a striptease number. And they're cavorting with the people standing, sitting in the seats like where I'm sitting. And then they so jump they on the stage. they cavorting with you. They, sort of, at a distance. And the ladies next to me said, oh, you better keep your eye on him. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad they were helping you out. So, uh, and it, immersive is the right word. Uh, but it was a great, great production. Yeah. Um, no names we've ever heard of before. Right. Young people Not from... Not necessary. Before. Just great... Um, yeah. Singers, great dancers, and um, yeah, I mean, look, there were there was, and the crowd was totally into it. I yeah. mean, when they did, uh, you know, near the end of the course is the um, sit down, you're rocking the boat, right? Which is always going to bring down the house, right? But this guy was excellent, and the whole, you know, um, British audience was going nuts, just going nuts. It was really. Yeah. Immersive. The guys, it was fun. You were immersed even if you were in the, you know, yeah. so the, the, seventh or eighth. The name was Cedric Neal. And I will say, I, my feeling at times, I've never seen a number get people carried away like that number. The place exploded. And we've seen a lot of things. So look, yeah. it's not important that I rate things or remember them well. But uh, it was explosive because the immersive added an element to it. But the other thing that was revelatory about this is that as it happened, uh, the actor who played Sky Masterson, whose name I should probably give you, I think his name was Rich, Andrew Richardson, who I never heard of, young guy, was super. And it, it's interesting because that part often is not played by the right guy. I mean, what you had is... It's Mar- often pretty cardboard. Yeah. The Marlon Brando in the movie was awful. He was uncomfortable the whole time. was exactly opposite of what that character is supposed to be. Right. So there's always, you know, the um, that love interest with, what's her name, Sarah Brown? Yeah. Uh, is has no chemistry. You can't right. figure out why these two people right. are together. Right. And then you have the Adelaide and Nathan Detroit romance, which is all chemistry. Right. So, um, but because this guy was so great, and what I mean by that, he was extremely charismatic and suave on the one hand, but he could really sing and act at the same. You never see that together. And, and this guy. took it to another level. I, it felt like that was the main part of the show. It felt like that romance, the one between Sarah Brown and Sky Madison, was the center of the show. That's how much it changed the performance yeah. for me. Yeah. So I thought that was fantastic. So I really loved it. it you know, the, the funny thing, too, was that uh, they gave me this great program. I shouldn't say we bought a program that went with it, which has some wonderful which articles. Is the norm in, in, in London. Is that you, the don't, you don't get any kind of for paper. If you want a program, you buy a program. But you should mention, we didn't pay very much for these tickets. I think you told me we paid like 30 pounds for these we tickets. We paid 39 pounds for the immersive tickets. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh, so, in any event, uh, and there are some great <laughs> articles about, uh, well, Abe Burroughs, who wrote the book. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, they have it a glossary. 
you know, this is, uh, it's been a long Explaining time. Explaining the American words. Yeah. <laughs> and they had the one, the question is, I was interested what they, what they felt they had to translate. And they felt they had to tell you what Barbasol was, which is shaving cream. I was cream. thinking about that. I had my dot bag. I had a Barbasol, I had Barbasol shaving cream with me. Okay, so how old-fashioned is Barbasol? That could be 20 years old, knowing you. No, it's not. I just bought it. Some of these actors are 20 years old. But the phrase that I thought, that I said no one could possibly get, they have it in the glossary, where at one point he's making fun of Sarah and, you know, about her idea of what romance is and she'll find the right guy in a song I'll know. And he says to her, you'll know at a glance by the two pair of pants. And I'm saying to myself, no one knows what that is. And they explain, of course, that it says classy suits from Brooks Brothers were sold with a jacket and two pair of trousers. And I, rem- I used to buy suits with two pair of trousers because you wore them out faster than you wore the jacket. Okay. All right. I could go on. But there are other things. But- well, it's fun for me because, of course, Guys and Dolls was the first Broadway musical I took Granger and Sadie to. Ah. And that was the great revival with Walter Bobby. And uh, with Nathan Lane and um, Faith Prince. Faith Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a fantastic uh, production. That was a fantastic production. They were little peanuts. So if that was in... Uh, 92. 92. So they were like seven and nine. and um, But they liked it. They loved it. But they, they, they went into it knowing it by heart. We mm. Instead of at a certain point, I had decided... In the car, where I wasn't going to play kid music. I would play musicals. Were, so were, they, they knew Guys and Dolls. They could sing every song. And, uh, of course, people in the audience were amazed that these two little kids were sitting there so well-behaved. Your, your um, little cassettes you were playing, if I recall. Yeah, right, right, right. So it was uh, just being at musical again uh, just, you know, really moved me. Uh, to hear all those songs. But the thing that occurred to me, one of the reasons this is such a successful production has nothing to do with this production. It just happens to be a darn good musical. Oh, it's super It's movie. funny. Yeah. It's witty. Um, and uh, it's just uh, got great music. Yeah. And you just forget. You, you know, everybody knows Sound of Music or whatever. And uh, but this I think is, it just got a little bit This forgotten. has the best book, even though it's funny. It has, it is probably the best book of any musical. And it, it goes through, people always say there's the second act's a problem. Second act is not a problem in this musical. Second act is not a So problem. they have, to their credit, in this uh, program what we bought, an article about Damon Runyon, who wrote the stories, who they say is largely forgotten now, that this is all based on. Um, uh, well, Abe Burroughs, and even Abe Burroughs wrote the book, again, talking about how strong the book is. And... Even A. Burroughs' kids, James Burroughs, who I never made the connection. James Burroughs was a co-creator of Taxi. He's, you see his credit a lot. He's a director. Oh, that's true. Right? Really? And James Burroughs talks about he was there on the set when they were first developing it. And all he did was play with the other people's kids. So who was he playing with? He was playing with Alan Alda. Because Robert <laughs> Alda played the Sky Masterson part. So he was joking about that. But the most interesting thing is they do have a, a piece by A. Burroughs about the experience and he said he had never written a book of a musical before. So uh, one of the things they did to help him, they hired as director uh, George Kaufman, who is the great George Kaufman, as a Morse Hart and George Kaufman, to direct it with a thought that he could help Abe if he ran into a problem. And, and he, that was really uh, his mentor was George Kaufman. And he was working on the book 
uh, with George. George invited him out to his place, and that's where he wrote the book. And where did George Kaufman have a place? New Hope, Pennsylvania. So in this article, A. Burroughs says, I was at this beautiful home in this beautiful area, <coughs> New Hope, Pennsylvania, writing the book of Guys and Dolls, and everybody was having a great time. Moss Hart was there with Kitty Carlisle and blah, 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 in this wonderful setting. And George Kaufman kept saying, you go back to the study and write the book. So, uh, All right, full circle. So exactly let's go out right. And enjoy New Hope, Pennsylvania. That's what we're going to do. All right. So, uh, great trip, and we'll be uh, back uh, next week with more uh, Life in New Hope. Until then, this is Dan Apuhoff. Tamsin Granger with Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. See ya.